Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Four years, six weeks, and three days. By declaration, it began in April of 1861, and the last shot was fired in June of 1865. I just need to tell you this morning, it didn't live up to its name. There was nothing civil about the Civil War. In fact, uh, to this day, it remains the most costly war in our history, at least in regards to casualties. Estimates are that uh, the death toll for the Civil War is somewhere between, now let this sink in, 650 and 850,000 men gave their life during this war. You've got to remember, these aren't enemies, enemy lives that were lost. These weren't some conquering force from some foreign country. They weren't foreign invaders. The men that were lost, the 650 to 850,000 men that were lost, were our men. It was, this, this was not even close to being civil. The, the, these losses were inflicted by brother on brother, father on son, and son on father. It was brutal. This was not civil. There were not flowers coming out of the ends of the muskets when they pulled the trigger. These were not rubber bayonets being thrust at each other's chest. These were real bullets, and there was real blood, and there was real death, and there is real destruction. The Civil War was not civil. Households were divided. Families were torn apart. Sides were chosen. And what we've discovered even in the last few months, right, even now this many hundreds of years later, what we've discovered is that the wounds that were inflicted in that war are still raw and they're still real. It was not civil. The Civil War taught us some things. It taught us that those closest to you have the ability to inflict the most damage. It taught us that those who are connected by blood have the ability to strike the hardest and to cut the deepest. The closer someone is to you, the more damage that they can do. That's what it taught us. It is that reality that has caused many of us to come to a conclusion in our own life. Because we recognize that those that are closest to us can do the most damage, it's caused us to come to this conclusion that it would just be easier if we lived life isolated. We literally think that isolation would insulate us and inoculate us against pain. And so what we've done is we convince ourselves, probably a better word, a more accurate word that we could say this morning, is not that we have convinced ourselves, but we have literally deceived ourselves into thinking that we don't need relationships. All I need is Jesus. Just give me some Jesus, and I don't need you, and I don't need you, and I don't need you, and I can just make it if I have some Jesus and I don't need anybody else. I can do this thing on my own. And so we isolate ourselves and think 
and believe that we don't need relationship. The only problem with that is that one of the earliest truths that we discover in Scripture is found in Genesis chapter 2 when Jesus is concluding all of his creative work after he's created the skies and the the land and the, the fish and the sea and the birds and the air. And he's come to this conclusion after every creative moment He says, he looks at the land and said, it is good. And he looks at the bird and he says, it's good. And he looks at the fish and says, it's good. And all of that. And then finally in Genesis chapter 2, he comes to the pinnacle moment of creation. And he creates man. And for the first time, rather than saying it's good, he says, it's not good. He's not talking about the creative ability that he had or our status, what he's talking about was what he saw and he says it's not good did he say it wasn't good that 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 man should not should be wasn't happy no he said is is it not good that man's not clothed because y'all do know they were naked right he says it's not good for man because they're not clothed right no that's not what he said he said it is not good for man to be alone alone Instantly we recognize out of that, that that isolation is not God's plan, nor is it His design for man. In fact, what we quickly figure out as you begin to read through Scripture is that man cannot fulfill his assignment by himself. In fact, the first man needed a help meet. He needed somebody to help him get the job done that he was assigned to. That is a truth that we need to recognize. It is fundamental that we must have relationship. And yet from the very beginning... We also recognize from the account in Genesis that relationships are the things that rupture and produce the deepest brokenness in us. We also see from the very beginning that man struggles to handle and to navigate relationship. In fact, uh, the first family was at war and they have, they have a war and it wasn't civil either. You will remember the fact that Cain would rather kill his brother than learn from his brother. I'm preaching already, and I've been gone so long, y'all don't even know it. I said he was willing to kill his brother more than he was willing to learn from his brother. They were at war. Utopia, perfection was lost. Paradise was lost because it was interrupted by a family fight. They didn't know how to fight, and they certainly didn't know how to fight fair. You will remember that in my last message to you, the last time we were together was July the 5th. And after much prayer uh, and in seeking God, I felt like that, that God had given me a word for our body that, that there were five principalities that we must face as a church family to live up to the potential and what God has assigned us to. There are five principalities, and I told you the root word for principality is principle. And so we are bound by principalities because of the principles that we operate by. We don't think properly. And I told you that we had to address those five. And I'm going to tell you what they were here in just a second. But what I want to do this over the course of this series and probably a couple coming because I believe that this principle that we're taking on today is the critical principle that we have to figure out and learn to defeat. And that is the principality or the principle of isolation. It was one of the ones I mentioned to you. It is the key principle or principality that we must destroy. We've got to figure out relationships because, here's why, if you cannot defeat isolation, you cannot defeat the rest of the principalities because the rest of the principalities were these. Poverty, 
But I'm just here to tell you, you will never defeat poverty unless you have relationships around you that can point out the way that your thinking is a poor way of thinking. Because poverty is not a money issue, it's a mind issue. Can't get no help. I've been gone too long. Y'all left me up here by myself. Uh, You cannot deal with poverty as a money issue. It is a mentality issue. And the only way to fix that is to have relationships in your life that can help you fix the way you think. The second one was hopelessness. And you cannot deal with hopelessness or defeat hopelessness unless you have people in your life that are constantly encouraging you and telling you you can make it and you're created for more and you've got destiny inside of you and the dream's not dead. It's only asleep. Hang on, baby. You've got to have people in your life and so you cannot be isolated. Then we talked about apathy. You cannot defeat apathy unless there's somebody in your life that's spurring you on to good works because if you're left to your own devices, you won't care about anything except you. And so you've got to have other people around you that are going, come on, it's more than you. There's other people out there hurting. There's a cause. There's something you need to get involved in. So you've got to have relationship. The last principality was compartmentalism. And so you cannot defeat that unless you have people in your life that are saying, look, that's an area of your life. Listen to me. I see it. I can pinpoint it. an area of your life that you haven't surrendered to God. You've surrendered Sunday morning, but you haven't surrendered Friday night. You got to have people. So, so the key component is that we've got to learn to navigate relationships correctly because we were designed for relationships. There is strength and there's camaraderie and there's support and there's spurring that only comes when you are put in relationships. The Bible declares very specifically that there's an anointing that takes place when brothers dwell together in unity. Our strength is our unity. You will remember that on July the 5th, I read to you a passage of Scripture out of Psalms, chapter 68, verse 6. This was the statement. We are told that God's stated plan is this, to place the isolated in families. That's God's doings. In other words, you don't get to choose your church family like you choose a buffet. If you're here and you're plugged in here, it's because God designed this place for you as your family. And He has literally picked this place and planted you in this place. And He's designed this place for you. The isolated are placed in the families. Now, here's the problem. The problem is, is it seems to me, as I get a little bit older, that I am running into more and more offended Christians. Everybody's mad at somebody. I mean, I don't know what's going on. I think I've got a a grasp of it. I'll tell you here in a minute. But, But what I've recognized and realized is that everywhere I go, there are a bunch of Christians running around that are mad at everybody. They're mad at their church family. They're mad at their immediate family. They're mad at their coworkers. They're mad at their classmates. They're mad at their dog. They're mad at their car. They're mad at their weatherman. They're mad at the grass because it's growing too fast. They're mad at everybody. Everywhere we go, it's, it's just ridiculous. It seems like as I navigate between y'all, I recognize that the truth is, is that there are so many of us who sit in services weekly who are in bondage even though they're faithful because they're at war and the war isn't civil. Okay. Y'all aren't any easier than the first crowd. I, you're nervous. I, simply put, There are way too many of us that are walking around wounded and offended. 
we talk about the fact, and, and I'm, man, I'm more aware of this too as I get a little older and I watch TV and I see what's happening in our land. We recognize that Jesus is coming back soon. There's, there's no way it can be prolonged. It, it's coming, all right? Uh, it's setting up. As soon as Iran gets the nukes, Israel goes to war, it's over. Just kiss it goodbye, you, we're gone, all right? Um, so we know that's happening. And we like to talk about that. And we all want signs. What are the signs that Jesus is about to come back? And we don't really have any problem with the list when he says, oh, there will be wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and famine. We, we see all that and we go, oh, Jesus is about to come back. But the disciples asked Jesus to give the signs of his second coming. And in Matthew chapter 24, he completes the list. And we don't like this part, but this, here it is, Matthew 24 when the disciples say, how do we know you're, about to, you're going to be coming back again? How are we going to know? When are the end times? You know what he says? In Matthew chapter 24, these are the signs he says. He says, many will be offended. Then he goes on and said, and many will betray one another. And then he finishes and he said, and there will be a whole bunch of you hate one another. So we shouldn't be surprised why so many... Believers are walking around offended and mad. It's because Jesus is about to come back. And we haven't learned how to navigate relationships while we're waiting on his return. My question to you this morning is this. What good does it do if God places us in a family and then he brings us out of isolation if we don't know how to navigate family relationships and we end up fighting our way back into isolation? If he pulls strings and orchestrates it to get us into a family relationship like this is supposed to be, and then we do our dead level best to fight our way back into isolation, why should he have wasted his time to plant us here in the first place? We continually prove that we don't know how to handle relationships, especially conflict. We're good as long as you don't sit in my seat and park in my parking space and as long as you sing my song. But as soon as you don't speak to me in the lobby and you drank the last Coke or the last pump of the flavored coffee that I wanted. I had my mouth set on a little bit of vanilla, hazelnut, raspberry cream coffee. Whatever it is, I don't know. And all of a sudden, conflict and we don't know what to do. In fact, what we do is when we experience a war, what we do is one of two things. Now, there's a lot of things you could do, but I'm convinced that we do one of two things most of the time. Number one is we fight back. You hit me. I'm going to hit you harder. I know y'all ain't never said that. Y'all too holy and glow in the dark. But let me just tell you how I think. You hit me. Baby, you better get ready because you just bumped me, but you're going to the floor. It's going to be a one punch. It's just going to be one hit, and it's over. Right? That's how we think. That's one reaction. Or two, we take our marbles and go home. We vacate. We avoid. I'm preaching, it is quiet in here. So let me boil it down. We either try to destroy or we vacate assigned relationships. So the bottom line is this, is what we've done is we respond how we were, how we were trained to respond in middle school on the playground rather than responding according to 
kingdom climate. Y'all remember that? I, I, should I go back and preach? I'll preach it right now. I preached it Wednesday night in North Carolina. I'll preach it again right now. We have been declaring a climate change, and we're changing our climate from how we were trained to respond to a kingdom climate. That's how we're supposed to respond. But instead, we want to respond like middle schoolers. I am convinced that for many of us, we are a lot more American than we are Christian. Preaching, I'm preaching. I will amen myself. Don't mess with me. I will turn around and amen myself. We will respond more like an American who deserves my rights. Cut me off in the, in the fast lane and I will respond like an American before I will respond like I'm a Christian. So, so, so I want my rights. But that's not kingdom climate. What if we could learn to have civil wars? What if, if battles, although they are real and perhaps even common, no longer leads to bloodshed and breakdowns? In other words, what I'm saying to you and what we will be talking over the course of the next few months uh, together about relationships, one of the things that we've got to learn to do is to fight fair. We're going to talk more about that later, but we've got to learn to fight fair. We want to have civil wars. Well, the Bible has a lot to say about fighting and how to respond to a fight. And we'll get into that. But I just want to tell you some reasons why we've got to learn this this morning and in the coming weeks. The first thing I want to say to you this morning is this, is, and this is truth, like it or not, applies to every one of us, and that is this. You will have a fight. But you don't have to let the fight have you. Y'all just think I'm messing with words, just playing with words. But I'm telling you, this is true. This is deep right here. You will have a fight, but you don't have to let the fight have you. Well, you don't know me, Pastor Steve. I've never met anybody I just don't love. I've never been mad at anybody in my entire life. My husband has never left the seat up. My wife has never squeezed the tube from the top instead of the bottom. Well, I've never gotten ill. I've never gotten sideways. I've never raised my voice. Okay. There's only a, about, there's, there's a couple possibilities out of that. There's actually three or four, but one of them is you're a liar, but I'm not even going to mention that one. But the, the other two that I want to mention is that either one, you haven't lived long enough, or two, Jesus is a liar. Okay, here we go. Because Jesus said this in Luke chapter 17, verse 1. Put it up there. It is impossible. This is the guy that says nothing's impossible with God. We don't even, he doesn't even use the word impossible. This is one time he uses it. It's impossible. But that offenses will come. In other words, mark my words, folks. You will have a fight. Okay, y'all are trying to act all holy on me. And I know better. I know. I know. Jesus knew. It was inevitable. Somebody, I'm just going to get real. Somebody was going to tick you off. That's what he knew. It's inevitable. But I want you to notice what Jesus does. He teaches us that even though you will have a fight, you don't have to let the fight get into you. He teaches it to his own cousin. It, it takes place in John chapter 7. John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist has been busy proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is the one that we've been waiting on. This is our Messiah. He's been, he's been promoting and preaching that ever since Jesus was burst onto the scene, right? 
now John the Baptist is in jail for preaching that message, and he's about to be killed because of that message. And John the Baptist, after preaching all of his life about this, gets his own disciples, and he sends them to Jesus, and he asks Jesus, go ask Jesus this question, are you the one? Are you the one I've been telling everybody you are? Or are you a fake? In other words, what's happening after giving his old life to saying, this is the guy, this is the Messiah, this is the one God promised us, now that he's sitting in prison about to give his life, he begins to doubt. And Jesus shows all these miracles to John's disciples, and then he turns and he teaches us how not to let the fight get into us when he says this to his own cousin in John chapter 7, verse 23. He says, Blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. So here is Jesus. He's sending a message to John the Baptist, cousin John, the one sitting in prison in the same town Jesus is in, And Jesus has been so busy that even though his cousin's about to give his life, he hasn't stopped his ministry. He didn't stop everything and say, I've got to go visit my cousin. He's just letting him stay there knowing he's about to die. And he reads between the lines of John's message and he realizes that John is being overcome with doubt and that it's about to turn into uh, an offense. And John's about to become offended at his cousin. And Jesus says, listen, you'll be blessed If you don't let the fight get in you, don't become offended. The word there for offended literally in the original language is the same word for bait. That's deep. Jesus is literally telling John, don't take the bait, man. Don't fall for this trick. The enemy is trying to tempt you to become offended and then you will you'll end up, even though you're already in prison, you will really be in prison if you become offended. Don't take the bait. Too many of us take the bait. We swallow it and we find out that now we are the ones in bondage. The enemy uses skirmishes and offenses to bait and switch. Here's what happens. We get hurt. We either fight or we vacate because that's the only, know, the only way we know how to behave. Well, it's the choice we make. We know a better way, but we just don't do it. We fight or we vacate. And instead of destroying our enemy, guess what happens? We are destroyed. Well, Paul comes along in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, you know what that chapter is. That's the love chapter. It is a literal description of the God type of love that is supposed to invade our lives when we submit our lives to Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 shows us the type of love we're supposed to have. And very early on in the chapter, Paul says, Don't be easily provoked. In other words, quit walking around, looking for, planning, expecting, and even fantasizing about fights. Because I know how we are. Some of y'all are not very quick on your feet. So 15 minutes after the fight, you go, ooh, if I just thought of this, I would have said this. And so you plan it. And next month when they come back around and they give you an opening, you sucker punch them from out of nowhere. And it had nothing to do with what was going on that morning. But three weeks ago, if I had just thought about it, man, when I get an opportunity, I'm going to lower the boom. And you drop a bomb But Paul says, look, you can't go around looking for this. Don't be easily provoked. I love y'all, but some of y'all easy to make mad. 
All I got to do is not talk to you in the lobby or after service. And man, the preacher didn't shake my hand. I ain't never going back to that church again. They set my seat. I know my name's not on that seat, but I've been sitting in this seat for 19 years. And there am I. Listen, Jesus, I, I need to remind you, Jesus says it's okay to get mad. He did. He said it's okay to get mad. But not to get angry to sin. And some of us allow our anger to go so deep that it becomes sin. Cain was angry at God and he takes it out on his brother. Some of you guys are mad at God and because you're scared he'll find out about it, you take it out on those around you rather than dealing with God. God's a big boy. God can handle your anger. But we lash out at those around us because we're scared. What you know? What if God hits back? What if God vacates? So we deal with. You see what I'm saying? Jesus said, "Go ahead, get mad. Just don't get mad to anger." In other words, as a disciple, we got to act different. In fact, I want you to do this just for fun. I, I just want you to touch your neighbor here in just a second when I give, give you the cue. And I, and I just want you to tap on the shoulder and say, hey, hey, as a disciple, can I remind you, you, you're called to be a lover, not a fighter. Come on, tell them, tell them, tell them, come on, tell them. You're called to be a lover, not a fighter. Yeah. Be careful now, be careful. I see, I see some guys taking some opportunity. No, no, no. What Jesus is doing is he's literally telling us that it is impossible to avoid having a fight. But it is possible to not let the fight have you. You say, well, why is that so important, Steve? Why, why is it so important that we don't take the bait? The reason that it is so important for you not to become offended and to become angry and not to take the bait is because baited equals blocked. Well, what do you mean, Steve? Well, let me, let me help you this morning and then I'll get out of your way. If you take the bait, if you become offended, if you let anger become a sin, you choose to strike back, you choose to walk away, what happens is you become blocked in four very important areas in your life. And I want to help you this morning. And lo and behold, they all start with the same letter. That's what happens when you leave for a month. You come back with a sermon that's all four the same. Y'all, some of y'all don't know. Some of y'all don't know. Baited equals blocked. Number one. When you become baited, you are blocked in your prayers. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 through 24 probably spells it out the best. Look, look, this is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship, that means you came to church on a Sunday morning, and you're about to make an offering, means you're getting ready to lift your hands and worship, you're getting ready to give in the offering, you're beginning ready to serve somewhere, that's your offering. You suddenly remember, isn't it interesting when you come to church that you tend to remember the people that are mad at you or that you're mad at? It's like a video screen. Every su- Okay, yeah, maybe not for y'all. Uh, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. This is what I want you to do. Abandon your offering. Leave. Immediately. When's the last time you'd heard a pastor say that? Right in the middle of church. If I see you getting up, running for the door, I won't believe. I, I'm just believing it's not to the bathroom. I just think you suddenly remembered somebody's mad at me and I got to deal with it. And he says, go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then, come back and work things out with God. 
See, what he's teaching us is this. It's clearly teaching us that if we are caught up in offense, if either they're offended at us or we're offended at them, that we also instantly have our prayers blocked. Uh, is it any wonder, then, if that's true, then why do you think the enemy's working so hard to make you mad? Why do you think the enemy's working so diligently to get you to be offended at somebody? He's, he, then he recognizes he doesn't even have to work to stop your prayers. You've stopped your prayers. Oh, I'm preaching. When you take the bait, what we do is we think, well, I have an earthly relationship that has been broken down. But according to what Jesus is teaching, when we take the bait, we have built a barrier between us and God. Offense with man causes us to have a breakdown between us and God. Our ability to navigate and properly handle offenses with man that we can see determines our relationship with God who we can't see. And all I know is this. I want my prayers answered. Right? So I have a choice. I can either be answered or I can be offended. But I can't be both. I'm preaching. See, because some of y'all offended, but you also think your prayers are going to be answered, but it can't be both. Jesus said you got to work that stuff out. Okay, y'all are looking at me. Huh? All right. The second one we won't like any better because not only does it block our prayers, it blocks our power. There's a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 18. Pay close attention to this. Matthew chapter 18, verses 18 through 20. Matthew chapter 18, verses 18 through 20. I point that out because as Pentecostals especially, we cherry pick this verse of Scripture. I'm not even going to read it. And she's going to roll it through. You can read it for yourself. It's where two or three uh, agree on anything. What I bind on earth will be loose on heaven. And what I loose on earth will be... Y'all know... I just misquoted that wrong, but bound and bound, loosed and loose. You know the passage. Then it finishes by saying where two or three agree, right? We have power. You're reading it. There it is. It'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. Okay, you know. I'm not reading it because we always fixate on that. We like the power statements, right? Anybody like power? Man, I want to bind some stuff, y'all. I want to lose some stuff, and I want to be so close to God that when I bind, He decides, you know what? That's a good thing to be bound. Boom, bound. When I lose some stuff, I'm, I want God to back me up, right? Okay, Matthew chapter 18, verse 18 through 20. Here's the problem. We cherry pick it because what we do is we forget to realize that Matthew chapter 18, verses 18 through 20 is sandwiched between Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 and 17, which teaches us how to deal with somebody that is offended. I knew it would get quiet. And then, the other side of it, Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35, deals with Jesus' disciple that says, how many times should I forgive somebody? So we want the power verses, we want the meat, but we don't want to deal with the bread. And the meat is surrounded by the bread. And you can't have the meat unless you're willing to eat the whole sandwich. 
Because Jesus even comes on the back end of that and tells a parable about what happens if you don't forgive. He talks about how there's this man that owes the king a great debt. He walks into the king, pleads for mercy. The king gives him mercy. He owes like $50,000. Then he walks outside, sees a guy on the street that owes him five, and he won't forgive him of his debt. He throws him in prison. King gets word, sends for him, sends him in prison, said, I forgave you a lot. You wouldn't forgive a little. little. Boom, you're in prison. And we wonder why we walk around and bind stuff and ain't no binding happening. And we wonder why we walk around going, loose this, loose that, and God doesn't back us up. It's because we don't understand that our power is blocked when we're out of relationship with one another because we cherry pick. I'm preaching. I'm preaching. We take the bait, and then we experience a power shortage you got Pentecostals running all over creation, binding stuff, loosing stuff, looking like idiots because ain't nothing happening when they do it. And then come to find out they hate their preacher, they hate the people they go to church with, they hate their cousin, they hate their aunt, they hate their boss, they hate their dog, they hate the trash man because he doesn't put the trash can back in the yard right when he comes and gets it on Monday morning. I hate everybody. And then we bind and loose and ain't nothing happening. You know why? We can't get an agreement. You want to do a little test? We'll just do a little test. What color do you think we ought to paint the walls? Okay, I guarantee you, if I gave you the mic and go around, we couldn't get an agreement. Some of you'd want them to be purple because it represents the royalty of Christ. And some of you'd want white because it's about his purity. And some of you'd want gold because you like TBN. And so... Let me get real... Hey, let's all decide on one restaurant we'll all go to today. Give me a break. We can't get an agreement on nothing. And then we wonder why we have no power. The third one is this. It not only blocks our prayers and our power, it blocks our presentation. Listen to this very carefully. Please listen to this very carefully. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11. A, person wisdom, a person's wisdom yields patience. Listen to this. It is to one's glory... To overlook an offense. Another version. The wise are insightful. They are patient. They will be honored. They will be praised. They will be glorified if they ignore insults and offenses. Another version says it like this. It says, when we pass over offense, we most accurately represent and reflect God and His glory. When we don't handle offenses correctly, we don't present Jesus correctly. I don't even have time. I've got a a message that I could make available to you where a guy preaches for about two hours on the importance of glory. Let me just sum it up like this and tell you that Jesus, one of the things that Jesus came back to do was restore what we lost. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So Jesus comes to restore our glory, the glory, the glory. And when we mature enough to intentionally overlook and refuse to take the abate of offense, it is a doorway back to glory and it allows others to catch a glimpse of God's glory because that type of response goes against our culture. By our willingness to be unoffended, we show people a different kingdom. Because this kingdom that we live in, 
that we are aliens in, that we are simply passing through. It teaches us to strike back, to vacate. But when we pass over an offense, it gives people a small glimpse of kingdom climate. Too many of us, while we're claiming Jesus, actually pervert people's view of the kingdom because we act just like they do. Can I remind you of kingdom instructions? How we're supposed to deal with relationships? How about this one? Turn the other cheek. Doesn't sound American to me. It's not. It's Christian. How about this one? Give. If they ask you to carry a burden one mile, you take it two. We don't ask nobody else to clock in and stay late. Carry two. Give your entire wardrobe when they ask for a shirt. And instead, what we do is we get offended and we act just like they, they do. We, we seek revenge. We bite. We strike. We throw fits. We cuss them out. We get short with them. They cut us off in the lane. We will signal them. And in that moment, we pervert the presentation of the kingdom. His glory is revealed through us when we pass over offense. Listen, I just need to remind you, we are called to represent, represent Jesus to everybody around us. And one of the key points to doing that is to show them that while they're around the water cooler killing your boss, you don't participate. It is to one's glory. Listen, I'm going to say it like this. I'll move on because y'all are uncomfortable. I got it. Your promotion and your blessing is not based on your shout. It's based on how thick your skin is. It's to your glory to pass over an offense. Touch your neighbor and say, just let it go. Don't sing. Just say, just let it go. Okay. Last but not least, not only does it block our prayers and block our, our, um, our uh, power and our presentation, it blocks our post. It blocks our post. Let me see if I can help you. We allow offenses to cause us to miss our assignment. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 4 says this. It says, if a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. How we navigate offenses literally reveals who we're serving. Y'all missed it. How we navigate, handle offenses literally shows us in that moment who we're serving. Because if we get angry and we leave our post, then the question is this, were you serving a ruler or were you serving the ruler? Were you serving man or were you serving God? How can Samuel continue to serve Eli when Eli's family, even though Samuel's been anointed as the next priest, even though the oil's been applied to his life through anointing, and he's set up to be the next priest, how can he continue to faithfully serve Eli who is corrupt and evil? 
How can David continue to serve Saul when David has seen with his own eyes that this king that he's serving is possessed by devils and has demons messing with him? That's what the Bible says. It says that Saul was driven by evil spirits to the point that David's playing the harp for him and he takes his spear and tries to pin him to the wall. And David has been appointed and anointed as king and he continues to faithfully serve this corrupt, evil, God-forsaken king. How? Because they realized, I ain't serving him. I'm serving him. And the moment you allow an offense to take root up in your heart and in your life, where it causes you to vacate, vacate your post, you in that moment have vacated your blessing. Whew. Whew. Tell somebody, just breathe. Tell them, just relax. Remain calm. Here's what I need you to know. Offenses are inevitable. Can I just let you in on a clue as you work around here? Um, I'm probably going to offend you. I know I, know I glow and, and I'm so holy. But there's going to come a moment, either on purpose, which I try to do every Sunday, is offend you as I preach the word because sometimes the only way I can get us to change is to, y'all know the word of God is offensive, right? It's not supposed to make us comfortable. I heard a, a very well-known preacher this week say people ought to find a church that fits their belief system. <laughs> Hogwash. We need to go somewhere where somebody will preach the truth and it offends us to the point that it causes us to want to change the line up to the word instead of asking the word to line up to us. So I do try to offend you on a weekly basis, but I'm probably going to offend you outside the pulpit occasionally. There are going to be other people that are going to offend you. None of us are perfect. In this building, outside this building, you are going to come up into contact with somebody that's acting like the north end of a southbound mule. I get it. Yes, some of y'all slow, but you're worth waiting on. You'll get that when you get home. But can I tell you this morning, stay at your post. Refused to come off the wall. In the Old Testament, when Moses was leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, the Bible very specifically, I find it's very interesting, he said they camped, every man camped in their place. In their place. And some, some of you are forfeiting your blessing simply because you've left your place, your post. And what I'm saying to you this morning is you cannot allow offenses to cause you to come off the wall because if you take the bait and you quit your post, you will miss your blessing because you're not serving me. You're not serving the youth pastor. You're not serving the worship leader. You're not serving the first impressions leader. You're not serving the nursery leader. You're not serving people. You're serving God. Are you offended? I'm not. Because, see, I recognize that offense is inevitable and you're going to find yourself in a skirmish and you're daily going to come into contact with some imperfect people. War will come. It's inevitable. But you've got to learn to have civil wars. Refuse to take the bait. Listen, I just, uh, as Kim comes to play, let me just say this to you. I need, I need to let you in on a secret. The world teaches us that revenge is sweet. And they're right. Ever taken revenge on somebody? Isn't it sweet? Oh, man, it tastes good. For about 
a week. And then you realize that what tasted good was poison. And they went on with life. And they're not giving it a second thought. And you find yourself bound. Because you can't move on. It's sweet for a season. But ultimately it gives you severe heartburn. Because now what you discover is that your prayers have been blocked. Can't get my prayers answered. You find out your power's gone. I bound that thing and it still rolled in. Your presentation is jacked up. Your coworkers, you've been working on them for months saying, could you, could you come to church? I'd love to share Jesus with you. And you go, I don't want what you got. Why would I want what you got? You cussed him out just like I cussed him. And you'll quit all your posts. And the result is you're not blessed because you're, if you're out of place, you're missing. And the blessing can't find you. I just think that what God wants is I think he wants us to learn to have civil wars where we get mad but we don't sin we'll talk more about that next week would you stand with me this morning I'm going to pray and then I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond Father this morning I pray that you would do what I cannot do My prayer is simply that you would lay our heart bare. God, the truth is, is that many of us have offenses that run very deep in us. And we try to play like they're not there. But Father, I'm praying this morning that you would remind us, remind us, just like that video screen I talked about, I pray that on the video screen of our mind and our heart faces would flash and we'd realize that there are some relationships that need repair we want our prayers answered we want power we want to present you correctly we want to serve faithfully help us I pray this morning to be honest about our own hearts in Jesus name if you're here this morning you say Steve I am in one of two places. One is I'm really struggling because I'm about to be offended. Something's happened. Somebody's hurt me. Somebody said something to me. Somebody did something to me. And I'm doing my dead level best, but I'm I'm, I'm right on the verge. I'm like John. I'm about to let offense roll in, and I don't want that to happen. Or second, you're hearing you say, Steve, my issue is I, I took the bait. And I am offended. And I recognize in my own life that my prayers have been blocked. And, and, and I don't have any power. And my presentation has been affected. And I've left my post. And I, and I, need, I need to make it right. I, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to let us pray for you. If you're in that first category, I want to pray that the Holy Spirit will guard your heart. And you can be mad, but you're not mad to anger you refuse to take the bait if you're in that second group I want to pray that 
the Holy Spirit will give you an opportunity to correct that relationship so that you can walk in freedom. If you're here this morning and you fall into one of those two categories, would you just step out and come and stand right here real quick? We're not going to take long. But if you're here and you're there in one of those areas, would you quickly, quickly, quickly step out? I need freedom in my life. I'm tired of being blocked. Anybody else that would be honest this morning? Somebody's done something to me. Somebody said something. And now I'm hurt. With my pastoral team come and help me this morning. If you're standing there today and everything's all right between you and your brothers and your sisters and everything's great and you're not bound by a fence, I just want you to stretch your hands this way and let's pray this morning and ask the Holy Spirit to produce freedom in these folks today.
this morning I pray over our family that we would battle isolation even though when we are moving in relationships like we should it is inevitable that offense will come we recognize that but we also recognize that we cannot fulfill the assignment of this church we cannot fulfill the assignment of our life isolated So, Father, I pray this morning that we would fight against swallowing the bait. And I pray that the group of people under the sound of my voice, we would become people that intentionally overlook offense. We would make a choice. It's a hard choice, but we would make the choice not to be offended so that we can present you well to those around us. I ask that you would help us to act more like Christians operating in kingdom climate than like middle schoolers who were raised in America. I pray that you would accomplish that in our life and we'll give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You can be seated for just a moment. I told you Uh, There would be some special announcements this morning. We realize as a church, our pastoral team has been talking for months. Uh, I just need to be straight up with you and tell you the, (coughs) excuse me, the evaluation that we've made that others from the outside have come in and made. And that is we do a lot of things well. But there's one thing that we really struggle to do well. It's not that we don't do it at all. We just struggle to do it well. And I also recognize that when you recognize what you don't do well, that doesn't change unless you intentionally attack that thing and do something to make it better. And what we don't do well is we struggle to connect people. We do really well worshiping together, and then we all go. Then we see each other the next Sunday, and we worship real well, and then. And uh, we struggle to connect. And so we don't do life together very well. And we're going to fix that. We are. That's why I'm hammering isolation. You cannot do what God's called you to do by yourself. And so we're making some internal adjustments that, that we want you to be aware of that we believe will help us do that and take some intentional effort. So I want Pastor Woody and Jesse to come, our youth pastors, and Andrew Ham, our children's pastor. and They're going to come and stand here with me. And we're going to make some adjustments here. Last summer, Pastor Woody and Jesse uh, sat down with us and began to talk, and they felt like the Lord was starting to rumble and some changes, and we didn't really know where all that was going to go. But this morning, what I'm trying to tell you is that uh, they are stepping down as youth pastors and uh, moving sideways. I, guess, I don't know if it's sideways, whatever it is. They're moving to uh, become our connection pastors. And I'm really excited about that because what that means is that they're going to give all their effort and intention, attention and intentions to pull us together and help you that are regular and faithful to attend. We're going to go after fringe folks and try to get them 
plugged in first timers and get them to plug in because we think we got a good thing going and we want everybody to be connected and we don't want you to do life alone. And so they're going to really help us with that. You won't see them for the next three weeks. I'm, I'm, they're not as old as I am, so I'm sending them. I said, don't come to church the next three weeks. They're going to go get some training and take hope get a little rest. They don't need much rest because they're still young and, and, and active and healthy and just wait. I, I saw him in a swimsuit. Never mind. Uh, and... Uh, <clears throat> Okay, and uh, he's going to be offended now. He'll be offended all week. All week. Like attracts like, Woody. That's what happens. Like attracts like. And, uh, but they're, they're going to take some time, and they're going to make sure. The other reason that we wanted to do that is because we, we felt like that on Wednesdays, um, after this Wednesday night, and you'll hear more about Wednesday night here in a second, but after this Wednesday night, there needed to be a little space where they could kind of move out of the way. And our new youth pastor... Pastor Andrew Ham uh, is stepping up, and we're raising them up in house, which I love. And so, Pastor Andrew has done these man. Listen, both both of them, all both of them, although there's more of them than there is over here, but both of them have done a phenomenal job. My own family has my kids have been changed forever because of the faithfulness of Pastor Woody and Jesse for eight years. Um, and and then now my, my kids are serving, and Devin is one of them. He serves in the kids' area under the tutelage of Pastor Andrew. They've, just, they've done a phenomenal, phenomenal job. And so here in a moment, uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say thank you to them. But I just want to make you aware. The, so that leaves a gap, you'd think, in our children, but we got that covered too. I want you to see, here's our new children's pastor, Mad, Madeline Lafferty. Um, she'll be stepping into that role next Sunday. She's actually in, is she in Romania? Is that where, or she's, y'all don't know. She's on her way home right now, but she's been in Romania on a mission trip, and uh, she'll be back. And so she's taking over our children. I told them in the first service at least our children will have a prettier children's pastor, and 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 our youth will have a taller youth pastor, and and uh, and all y'all will get to see connections eye to eye. Never mind, it was corny in the first service, cornier now, and, but. Uh, some things you just can't even relax yourself out of. I don't know. I guess I'll always be corny. But I want us to pray over them and ask God to commission them. This is key. We are convinced of all the things that we could do, and there's a lot we could do, that this was the one key component, the most important, that we had to fix connections. We got to. I'm tired of y'all going all week long and feeling like nobody cares. So his number... We'll be on the website and you call him if you need. No, no. Turn around, face. <laughs> Love you guys. Thank you so much. They've served eight years. Pastor Andrew has been our children's pastor, believe it or not, for two years. It's gone by fast. And uh, we just believe that God is going to, I know this, God anoints where he calls you. He equips you. He wouldn't call you somewhere he doesn't equip. And he also wouldn't call you to do something you're not qualified to do. He qualifies you doesn't mean you're not teachable and, and you guys are going to learn. We're all going to learn together. We're going to give you grace as you learn because we don't know nothing what we're doing. We just, But he qualifies you at the same time. And they're going to lead us in that. Would you stretch your hands this way as I pray over them? Father, I thank you for Andrew and his faithful heart to our children. He has modeled for our young men and women in the children's church 
what it means to be a godly man. And I pray that as you promote him into youth ministry, it's not that youth ministry is more important than children's. That's not what I'm saying. But you've seen the gifts in him and you make room for his gifts. I pray that a fresh anointing would rest upon him and a word from God for our young people would rise up in him. And even though he's going to do different do it differently than Pastor Woody and Jesse have done it. I pray that the anointing would be just as strong and just as real and he would stand on the shoulders that paved the way and he would take our youth ministry and college ministry to brand new levels. I pray you'd give him the helpers he needs. I pray that you'd give him the leaders he needs and I pray that our young people would follow him to great heights in the kingdom. We thank you for it. And Father, I thank you for Pastor Woody and I thank you for Pastor Jesse. They've been so faithful so diligent in this eight-year process as they've led our, our, our young adults and our college students, our, our teenagers, and we see the fruit right now. We see the fruit of young men and women whose lives have been forever changed. They're trophies for them. But now, Father, you've called them to a new area of ministry, and it's kind of an unknown and we're trying to figure it out. I pray that what many would say would be difficult would now be easy. I pray that you would prepare, as you've prepared them, you would now prepare the way for them. And I pray that they would find it easy. And I pray you'd give them inroads. And I pray that you'd give them ideas and concepts and ways to connect us to one another. So that we can make room for others from the outside to come in and connect as well. And we'll grow this family that you've placed us in. You've planted us here. We thank you for it. And I pray anointing on their lives at a greater measure. I pray a word would rise up in their lives as they model being connected for us. And together, Father, we'll praise you for it. We pray for Madeline. We ask that you anoint her now as she's ministering to our children. And I pray that she would be able to take that to a whole new level. I pray that she would not find it difficult to find volunteers. I pray that out of the woodworks, people that are qualified, that have a heart for children, would run back there recognizing that they have the opportunity to raise up a brand new generation and how that they should walk. We thank you for the great team that you've given us. We pray blessings on them. We give you glory for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.